Hey, y'all. Have you ever heard of Old Gods of Appalachia? Well, if you haven't, you have now. Let me tell you. This is a horror anthology podcast, and it is absolutely amazing. They have characters. They have actors. They have different people doing voiceovers. It is so ridiculously dope. Y'all got to check this out. Um... I'm, I'm like, I'm enthralled. I'm, I I can't stop listening to it. This shit is crazy. And I got to tell you, all the actors are, they're straight, they're queer, they're black, they're of color, they're male, they're female, they're they, thems, they, thems. They just, this thing is so diverse, man. And, and there's, there's actually some poets involved with this that I actually admire. So this is a big deal. Y'all got to check out Old Gods of Appalachia wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, y'all, it's your fam. It's Black Fluid Poet coming to you live from my humblest abode of books. Chilling. Thinking about the craziness that is the United States of America. Wondering how much longer I could take it. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't know about anybody else, but I'm like, I mean, I know Canada's colder, but at least I can get my prescription. <laughs> you know? I mean, it ain't like, people like me, you know, you gotta have a struggle to fight for it. Like, the indigenous in Canada are just getting raked over the coals. So, I, there's a fight waiting for you when you get there. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it's time to go help the indigenous in Canada, but at least we can get our prescriptions. I'm just saying, I'm thinking about it. I'll be thinking about it. Um, so I was on TikTok and I was in my live and I asked the people in my live, what would you like to hear a podcast on? And there are two things that come up, stories about my family and something that a lot of people ask me about. So... I indirectly have a skill that I haven't been very aware of that I possess, okay? People keep asking me about confidence. And I don't know what it is about me that exudes confidence. Um, But it isn't a word that I actually consider on most days. And maybe that's why... I appear so confident because I don't concern myself with how confident I appear. I know, it sounds crazy, right? But check it out. So, I know I dress a bit eclectic, (laughs) shall we say. Um, And I accept my uniqueness that I believe everybody has. Not everybody shows it off all the time. I do most of the time. Some people do all of the time. But I believe first, a part of one aspect of having confidence, I honestly believe is accepting myself. I accept myself, all my flaws, as well as all of my attributes, all of my character assets, as well as my character defects. Now, To fully accept all these things about me, that's not to say I like all these things about me. It just means that I accept they exist. That is a part of me. Okay. And to fully accept all these things is also an act of humility, knowing my limitations. And in humility, 
a person may appear confident because they know when they walk into a room, they are acutely aware that they are no better or no worse than anyone else in the room. Now that could come off as confident. You know, I'm not intimidated. I'm not intimidated by people smarter than me. I'm not intimidated by people who are better looking than me. I'm not even intimidated by people who have more money than me because I accept my own flaws and assets. And in doing so, I know that every single person in this room has flaws when they're trying to, you know, promote their assets. And when people are, you know, going out of their way to promote their defects, I know that there's something good about them as well. So... I don't feel challenged when I walk into a room. Um, I don't feel the need to prove myself. I don't feel the need to steal other people's attention. I also don't feel like running into a corner and hiding because I'm not concerned with what other people are thinking of me at that moment. When I walk into a room, um, well, the first thing I tend to do is read the room, okay? I walk into a room... Let's say, for a second, it's, um, you know, a gathering at a friend's house. And the friend said, hey, I'm having some people over. I wanted to come over. So, you know, in my way, I ask, like, is this like a dress how I want? Or is this like, is there going to be family there? Like, what's going on? So they say, oh, no, you know, be yourself. Just come on by. Word. So I'm going to be myself. Now, when I get there, I'm listening to what music is playing, to what kind of a mood is set. Uh, this is what I do. I'm not saying everybody should do this. This is how my brain works. Um, of course, I'm a little nervous. I'm meeting new people. And, you know, I want to be liked. And I also want to like everybody that I interact with. And I know that that's not realistic. But it's a hope I have when I get to the door. So, hey, Johnny, come on in. So I go in and then I see the people. Now, I see the people and I see how they look at me. Now, most people will look at my big ass and look me up and down and be like, what in the hell is that man wearing? That's the first thing. And then there's other people going, oh my God, I love your outfit and makeup. Oh my God. So there's a balance, right? Because I get both as soon as I walk into a room. Now, the first thing I ask myself before I start interacting with people, well, I don't ask myself anything. The first thing I remind myself is that I am not here to show off. I remind myself that this is not the stage. I am not here to perform. I am one of, I'm an integral part of this community that is happening at this moment. So I don't feel the need to impress anyone. It's not a job interview, right? Um, it's not tryouts for new friends. <laughs> some people some people walk into a room and it's a tryout so they want to say all the right things all the nice things they want to smile the whole time they're there I don't I don't um, I'll smile if I feel like smiling I won't if I don't um, <clears throat> but what's most important to me <clears throat> is treating others with kindness and respect that's all that's all That's that's my only intention when I walk into a room full of people I'm not thinking about potential dates. I'm not thinking about haters. I'm not thinking about making friends. I am in the moment. 
And being in the moment does this wonderful thing for me. It removes all the anxiety about, oh my God, what's going to happen in an hour from now? Oh my God, tomorrow. Oh my God, what's going on in my house? Did I turn off the toaster? Da, 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 da. Like, it removes all the anxiety of the near future. And it also removes all the depression of the past. Oh, I remember when I used to have gatherings like this at my house. Oh, I miss having my friends. Man, if my best friend was here right now, we would have so much fun at this party. Da, 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 da. No, no yesterday, no tomorrow. In the moment. And in being in the moment, accepting that I have defects and assets, accepting that everybody else in the room has defects and assets, I can relax. And that ability to relax around a crowd of people, be it small or large, is what others believe to be me exuding confidence. But to me, when you say confidence, I think of a person who goes in the bathroom and looks in the mirror and is like, come on, you can do this. You got this. And I don't do any of that. I think it's because I'm not afraid to be in a new place. Okay, so story time, right? Um, I know because people love to hear about my family. My family had zero compassion. Zero, zilch, none, no compassion. Um, my mom would sometimes feel it for a homeless person. My mom would sometimes feel it for a stray dog that she would end up bringing home. Um, my sister felt compassion for young girls who were in struggling situations. So did my mom. Um, my brother Frankie had no compassion for anyone, for anything. He thought it was funny when people were struggling and suffering and in pain. Um, true sadist. And then my brother Benny had compassion for everyone. He was, he was just perfect. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. He was just kind. He'd rob you in a minute, but he was very, very kind. You know, he had a heroin addiction. So as nice as he was, and as great of a person he thought you were, if you had money, he'd take it because he had a dope habit to fill. But he was also the type of person who would show up at your door at 6 o'clock in the morning because he found out that no one could mow your lawn. So he decided to come over and mow the lawn. And he just came over at 6 in the morning to let you know he's about to mow the lawn. He wasn't asking you permission. He's the type of person that would show up at your house with groceries because he heard you didn't have any groceries. Now, whether he paid for the groceries or not is a different story. Nevertheless, he showed up with them. That's the point. <laughs> and he had compassion. And I think it's because of the abuse that he took from my mom. You know, my mom put him through it. But um, in at the time of my childhood, we're talking about the 70s, um, compassion was something that was saved for people who were utterly powerless. You had compassion for people in a coma. You had compassion for somebody that lost a loved one. You had compassion for, you know, um, somebody whose house burnt down. These are, these are these powerless situations. There's nothing you could do. You know, strange circumstances, a perfect storm. And, and it was like, oh, man, fuck. After everything you did, that's terrible. I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, is there anything I can do? Now, if you got in a car accident... If you lost your job, if you had to have surgery, 
if you were mugged the night before, ain't nobody got passion. Look, we'd laugh. Ain't nobody got compassion for you. It's like, yeah, you got mugged. Okay, so, you know, you alive. It's a new day. Move on, you know. Um, you know, the doctor told you you had cancer. And my mom was like, okay, so you got cancer. So go find out what the fuck you do to cure your cancer. What the hell are you going to do? Just sit around and cry about the life you may have? Like, you don't, it, it, you just got diagnosed. Chill the fuck out and figure it out. Um, my mother had that attitude with everything. So try to imagine uh, me as a child trying to explain to my mother I was scared to walk into a birthday party. Shit. My mother was like, you what? John, get your ass to the... I'm taking you to that party. Because, Mom, I don't want to go. There's going to be a whole bunch of kids. I don't care. You're going to the party. Why? Because my mother's greatest fear was fear itself. My mother's greatest frustration was seeing her children afraid of anything. And if she found out you were afraid of something... You were going to have to deal with that thing until you were no longer afraid of it. Um, I really believe that there were times my mother left me home alone because she knew I didn't like to be alone because she knew that I was afraid to be alone. What if something goes wrong? What if something bad happens? I think my mother left me home on purpose <laughs> more often because she was like, he need to get over that shit. Um, I was like five, six, you know what I mean? <laughs> Mom, don't leave me. She was like, oh, God. He's up under my ass like a hemorrhoid, she would say. <laughs> so, like, okay. I was scared of deep water because I couldn't swim yet. I was I was five, right? I was either five or six. We'll say five because it sounds better. But I was about five or six, and I was at my Uncle Tommy's house. My uncle, wealthy man had an in-ground pool. It was the first one I ever saw in real life, right? Besides the public pool in New York City. But we out in the suburbs now. We out in Jersey. We at my uncle's pool. And it is beautiful, but nobody wants to take me to the pool. And I can't go by myself because I can't swim. So I'm crying. My mother's trying to enjoy her, 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 uh, her screwdriver. It is in the morning. You know, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. My mother's drinking vodka and orange juice. And my Uncle Tommy's watching, you know, some morning show. And uh, sitting in his lazy boy chair. My Aunt Joan is doing stuff in the kitchen. And I have two cousins there. And they're just chilling. And I ask everybody, can you take me to the pool? Oh, after breakfast. Can you take me to the pool? Oh, maybe later. Take me to the pool. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. Don't nobody want to go to the pool? So my uncle says to my mom, Kay. That's what they called her. Kay, why don't you take him to the fucking pool? He wants to go to the pool. Like, just take... My mother's like, you know, I will in a minute. But my mother was white, white. And so was her brother, Tommy. All of them are white, white. I'm the only one with olive skin. These folk ain't trying to be out in the sun. They'll die. Like my mother, you could see the veins through her skin in her face. Like she was very, very pale. These people were clear, all right? These were clear white folk. So don't nobody, ain't nobody trying to be outside. I'm trying to get black. I'm trying to be out in the sun. So out of frustration, my mother goes, you know what? Fine, fuck it, come on. And she lights a cigarette, grabs a drink, and continues to walk out the sliding back patio door towards the pool. She goes, John, come on. So I go walking out there with her. I'm in my, my bathing trunks. I'm ready to go, you know. 
So she walks me up to the pool and she walks me over to the deep end. And standing at the edge of the deep end, she's standing to my right. She's maybe, you know, a foot, two feet away from me, tops. And she goes, all right, John, I want you to move your hands back and forth like this. And she's showing me, see how I twist my wrists and moves like that? Your palms are going to move the water. And I was like, okay. She goes, and while you're doing this, pretend like you're walking. You're going to kick your feet like you're walking. You're going to do one, then the other, one, then the other. And I said, okay. She goes, and that's how you stay above water when you're in the deep end. You're not going to touch the ground, but I don't want you to be scared. And I said, but I am. She goes, well, you need to stop. You need to stop being scared of every goddamn thing. There's going to be things in this world, John, that really want to hurt you. A swimming pool is not one of them. Do you understand? And I said, yes. She goes, okay. And shoved me in the deep end of the pool. Child, I could see the silhouette kind of, you know, distorted from the waves of my mother as I'm still a good eight inches below the surface and I can barely hear her muffled commands of kick your feet (laughs) so I kick my feet and I get my head above water and I'm looking at my mother and and I'm trying to wrap my little brain around the science of I am not standing on any surface, yet I'm managing to keep my head above water. I don't understand how this is working. I don't get the physics of it, but it's really happening. My head is above water, even though I can't touch the ground. And she goes, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And, and I'm, you know, panicked a little bit. She goes, okay, now keep pushing the water out of your way until you can get your body over there to that ladder. So I pushed until I could get to the ladder. And she goes, okay, good, climb out of the water. I climbed out. I said, mom, I did it. She goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Go over here to the diving board. I go on the diving board and I'm looking down. Now this water looks hella far down from the diving board. The diving board's like, you know, maybe a foot and a half above the water, but it looks like it's a good 10, 20 feet. You know what I mean? And she goes, jump off. And I go, I don't know. And she goes, John, God damn it. What did I tell you about all that scared shit? Jump off. And I jumped. I jumped, I hit the water. Floated my way back up to the top, moving my hands and my feet, and then got my body over to the ladder again. She goes, good, now you know how to swim. If you have any problems, I'll be in the house. And she walked in the house and left me out there to swim. Now, I don't know if we can write that off as a Gen X thing or as just my mom thing, but I learned how to swim in five minutes. And not because I'm brilliant, (laughs) not because I'm especially skilled and in tune with nature, not because I'm a fucking water baby. It's because if I didn't learn how to swim at that very moment, my mother would have watched me nearly drown before she saved me. I knew my life was on the line if I didn't learn how to swim right fucking now. And when you grow up with experiences like that, walking into a room full of strange people doesn't seem so frightening. You know what I mean? Like, my own mother almost killed me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, she almost killed me. And the reason why my mother was like that is because society almost killed her. Society didn't give a fuck that her husband left. The landlord didn't care that she didn't have no job skills. You know what I'm saying? 
Then people at welfare, they didn't give a damn whether you had enough money for food or not. You just better do what you're supposed to do or you'll die. You know what I mean? You had to survive. And I think what capitalism did to the parents of Gen Xers is the same thing that parents of Gen Xers did to said Gen Xers. There was low empathy, high expectation, and there was this apathetic approach to any struggle. There was always a rolling of the eyes when someone complained about unfairness and injustice. It was like, oh God, just just roll with it, man. Like, I, I really believe that boomers are responsible for the, the, the phrase, life ain't fair. Be like, but that's not fair. Life ain't fair. It's because that's what they learn from the society around them. When I walk into a room and people are believing that I'm exuding confidence, what I'm exuding is trauma. <laughs> I'm exuding um, a calm because at that moment, my life isn't threatened. I deal in extremes. My roommate says to me, um, it doesn't bother you that, that you don't have any money? And I said, no. No, it doesn't bother. Why? She goes, but I mean, you're broke. What are you going to do? You have no money in the bank. You have no. And I said, yeah. Well, I mean, I grew up poor, so poverty is that's okay. And she said, but what if what if something goes wrong? I said, well, if something goes wrong, then I'll lean on my friends and and we'll figure it out. And she said, that's it. And I said, yeah. She goes, you don't. And I said, look, I have cigarettes. I have food. My clothes are clean. I have a roof over my head. I'm good. What is there to worry about? And she was like, you really, you really like, and I said, unless my life is threatened, it's not the top priority. It's just not the top priority. And I say that because when I walk into a room full of people, I don't feel like my life is on the line. And if my life isn't on the line, I'm not going to feed into it too much. Um, I don't know if that's a Taurus thing, a Gen X thing, or trauma, but I know that I don't give much attention or energy to things that don't have power over my entire life. You ain't got money for the bill, throw the bill in the garbage. No sense in hanging it on your fridge to stare at how broke you are. I say throw it in the garbage. I still feel that way. People have talked to me about it. People say to me, like, John, that's so irresponsible. Man, shut the fuck. Do you have the money for the bill or no? No, I don't. Throw the goddamn bill in the garbage. Don't nobody want to look at all of that pressure? You want to put the fucking bill up on the fridge so you can stare at it? I know I owe them money. I ain't forget. But I'm not going to beat myself up for not having enough. I deserve a break. I wouldn't. Could you imagine doing that to your neighbor? Could you imagine doing that to a friend of yours? Hey, you still, you still ain't got the money for that bill? Well, just remember, you still got that bill. And then two hours later, be like, hey... You got the money for that electric bill yet? You know, your phone bill's coming. No, I wouldn't do that. But I've seen people take bills and magnet them to the fridge. And every fucking time you go to get something to eat or drink, you got to stare at the fact that you are falling short this month. But what? I feel like Earth and Kid, when they were like, compromise, would you, would you compromise? For what compromise? For what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, 
fuck you gonna hang the bill on the fridge for? Just to remind yourself you ain't shit this month? Man, not me, son. Nah, I'm not doing it. Next time I get a paycheck, we're going to revisit the bills. Until then, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. That shit is not the top priority. What's the top priority? Enjoying this day. What's the top priority? The very next person I say hello to. What's the top priority? Making sure I'm enjoying my time on this planet. What's capitalist's top priority? Me staring at that fucking bill and making that my prime concern. And maybe working some overtime this week to make sure that my bills get paid on time all the time. And then I have less time to enjoy myself. Less time to admire the world and, you know, uh, fall in love with new friends. If it was up to capitalists, I'd work three fucking full-time jobs and sleep maybe one hour a day on my breaks. That's what capitalists has in store for me. So, to exude confidence... Believe it or not, all of this ties in for me. To exude confidence, I don't do it on purpose, like I said. But one, I know that everyone in this room is flawed. And two, my life is not on the line. When I walk into a job interview, my life is not on the line. I don't care how behind I am in my bills. I don't care how much I'm facing homelessness. When I walk into a job interview, these are flawed people just like myself, and we're having a conversation about me working there. That's it. That's it. It's not, oh my God, I really need this job. Oh my God, I hope they hire me. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Nope, none, none of the above. I'm gonna walk in here and talk to these people about a job. That's it. I have, I'm in the moment. I'm not thinking about, oh man, I'm so fucking broke. I'm not thinking about, oh, if I could work here, the things I could do, nothing. I'm not thinking about anything but the second I am existing in. When I'm having a conversation with a random person, I am no longer thinking about tomorrow, an hour from now, yesterday, last night. I'm in the conversation I'm having. Now, could I always do that? No. There was a time when I couldn't talk to pretty people. Like, to talk to a pretty person, if it's somebody that I would be attracted to and they're fine, I'm like, oh, my God, look at Blind they are. Oh my God. And meanwhile, their mouth is moving. I ain't hearing shit. And then like there's those key moments when you know how to nod or say, uh-huh. It's like, they're like, you know what I mean? You're like, uh-huh. Bitch, I ain't hear nothing you said. You're so fine. Oh my God, you're so fine. Or if I'm talking to a guy who's really good looking, I'm like, damn, how come I don't look like that? And he's telling me about his job and the problems he's having with his partner or his girlfriend or whatever. And I'm, you know, and I'm nodding my head, uh huh. And I'm looking, I'm like, damn, I remember when I had a washboard stomach. I miss them days, you know. <laughs> and there's my depression. I'm talking about the past, you know. Um, I remember I had a friend of mine, good-looking poet from New York City. I'm not gonna mention his name, but um, he said, hey man, you wanna go to this club with me? And I was like, hell no. What the fuck? I'm not trying to be the wingman. Like, no, you're too good looking. I can't go. He's like, oh, man, come on. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going. No, you better invite somebody. Hell no. 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 So to have two two women in the club fighting over who has to go out with me because the other one wants to be with you? No, I'm not doing all that. But I was in my 20s then. Let me tell you. If someone far better looking than me said, hey, you want to go to this club with me? I'd be like, hell yeah, let's go. Because I'm no longer concerned 
with how that's going to turn out. I am no longer concerned with past experiences that did or didn't go well. And all of this, this feeling, this, this, what some people call confidence, what I believe to be humility and empathy, I want that with the next person I date. I don't want to think about past relationships. I don't want to think about future mishaps. I don't want to think about the possibilities of how how many ways this thing could go wrong. I want to be in the moment. And I want to fall in love like I was in high school. You know what I mean? Confidence is about focus. I believe confidence is about refusing to juggle many thoughts or feelings at once. It's almost a form of meditation. I remind myself it's okay to be me. It's okay that people don't like me. And it's okay that I don't like other people. And that none of that is significant in this moment. I'm just in the moment. I hope this made sense. I, I, I've never talked about this before, but... I have to tell y'all, I don't worry about things that aren't as tough as the experiences I've had. Like, I had, when I was 19, I was home for a, a stay from the military, and I was jogging, and I got some chest pains, and all of a sudden I couldn't breathe, and I dropped Anyway, somebody called an ambulance. I get to the hospital. The doctor tells me my lung collapsed. And I said, okay, well, I guess we'll have to schedule. So he was not schedule. No, no, you're going to surgery now. We have to fix, we have to inflate your lung. And I was like, now? Oh, I ain't got time for that. I got, I got work. I got to, I got to get home to, I'm in the army. And he was like, son, (laughs) you'll die if I don't reinflate your lung. I was 19. You know what I mean? And I'm like, well, I mean, it don't hurt that bad. I'm good. You know, I'm scared. I'm scared. I had never had surgery before. He was like, we need to do this now. And I says, all right, so we going up to the OR? And he he said, no, no, no. Here, right now. And I was like, now, now? (laughs) And he said, if I don't do this, you could die. And that's all he had to say. And I was there poolside with my mother. He gave me zero medications for pain. He took a scalpel to my ribs. He put a little X with the scalpel. That shit hurt. But it didn't hurt half as bad as the steel arrow he shoved (laughs) through the right side of my chest between my ribs and then pulled the metal pole out of it and left the plastic tube and then all this black ass, ugly ass liquid goes shooting out of my body. It was... Uh, amazing, astounding, and excruciating all at the same time. Then he hooked up a machine to it, and they started to hit a button, and it started this suction thing, and that hurt like hell. And then they gave me something for pain. I think they, I think they gave me Demerol. And after that, let me tell you something. To have... A small, this is a a minor form of lung surgery, mind you. This is a small form of lung surgery. But to have that experience without anesthesia. When someone says, hey, do you want to go to this party? 
I take <laughs> walking into a room with new people I don't know and lung surgery without anesthesia and I compare the two. And then I make a decision. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, let's go to the party. Because nothing, there's very few times in my life where I ever had anything as excruciating, as remarkable as having a scalpel run across my flesh and a steel pole shoved between my ribs without anesthesia. Meeting people is a walk in the park compared to that shit. So I guess I look at everything on a scale and I weigh the outcome. I weigh the potential outcome. I weigh the consequences. Um, I, I weigh the reaction. Um, you know, every action has an equal reaction. And I, I ask myself, how bad could it be? And it's usually nowhere near as bad as my anxiety tells me it is. The other thing about confidence is confidence works well with science. And what I mean by that is it works well with facts. It works well with research. Okay, so let's just say I'm about to go on a date. And my anxiety, what if she doesn't like me? Oh, my God, what if I, oh, my God, I hope I have enough for the bill. Uh, I hope she doesn't order too much. Uh, what if, uh, you know, I don't know. What if I spill food on, on my clothes? Oh, my God, that would be so embarrassing. Um, what if I say something really stupid? Or what if she catches me looking at her breasts? Or, you know, like, I, whatever it is, whatever kind of crazy thought I have, I take all of that in. Okay, that's the what ifs. Let's look at the thousands of dates you've been on in your life. How many times has any of that happened? Not never. Okay. Well, then according to the research, this is going to be just fine. I mean, if we just follow the pattern, you're going to have a nice time. So stop making shit up. Like... Live in the science. Live in the science of your experiences. You've been on a date before. You had a good time. Some of those dates turned into marriages and kids. Some of those dates turned into divorce and child support. But at the end of the day, those dates were fun. Were, you know, um, adventurous, spontaneous, joyful, funny, sexy, so this constant grinding, gnawing thought of how things could go wrong, that is the fear that my mother feared the most. This unwelcomed, unrecognizable, irrational, constant, I, I think of... Um, I think of Homeboy from, from um, uh, what is that show? Tap, 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 Penny. Tap, 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 Penny. Tap, 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 Penny. <laughs> um, big, uh, big Bang, all right? Big Bang Theory. And the, it's, it's how ironic it is that the person who is the most intelligent in the room suffers from the most anxiety. Like, the irony about that, about being someone who has pledged their whole life 
all of their academics to research, to evidence, but then to be afraid of random shit all the time. It 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 just I I always found it amusing. Um, I always always found that amusing. But what I want to say to you is, confidence in and of itself, I think, is bullshit. Um, I don't think there's any such thing as confidence. Confidence is, I mean, the short form definition in my own head, confidence is the need to remind oneself that they're acceptable. That, that's, that's, that's what it is. And if I have to remind myself to have confidence when I'm walking in a room, there are other things that I need to fix way, way back, way back. You know, like, what is it about people? Why do I constantly think they're better than me and their opinion matters more than me? I need to ask myself, what is it that I'm really afraid of? Am I I afraid that they're going to find out how much of a piece of shit I really think I am? That's what it really is. I think a lack of confidence has a lot more to do with shame than anything else. I think a lack of confidence is a fear of exposure. A lack of confidence, I truly believe, is this irrational fear that strange, random people are going to see me, see through me, and see what I really believe about myself. And if I love myself, and if I believe myself to be a person with much to give, with value, who deserves respect and common decency, yeah, that's going to come off as confidence. But the truth is, it's just self-love. Confidence is just self-love. Y'all remember to love yourselves today. And if you fall short, remember you can start your day over anytime, anywhere, with anybody, because loving yourself is the most important thing you can do, especially for your confidence. Love y'all. Hey, y'all. Your fam, Black Fluid Poet. Check it out. If you love this podcast, I want to thank you for favoriting the podcast because it means the world to me. However, the way I can get more advertisers is to have more subscribers. If advertisers um, see that... um, I have a lot of subscribers, they will be more willing to give me opportunities to advertise for them. So in order for me to get these ads, I need to get to a decent amount of subscribers. So you come here to anchor.fm and you go to support and you can pick 99 cents, 4.99 or 9.99. Please feel free to pick 99 cents. I, I, I am overjoyed at anyone who wants to support my dream of getting this podcast taking off. You know what I'm saying? So please just consider it. If I could get a thousand subscribers, I could get out of this poverty thing. You know what I'm saying? Because yo, the struggle is real. Y'all take care.